welcome to another segment of New Books and Poetry. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Today we have the honor of featuring a work in translation and of welcoming both the writer and translator to discuss the collection Caída Libre. Tina Escaja is a Spanish-American author and digital artist. She is currently a professor at the University of Vermont. She is an NEH grant recipient and a literary critic. Tina has published extensively on gender and contemporary Latin American and Spanish poetry and technology. Her digital art, video, and multimedia projects have been exhibited in museums and galleries internationally. She has written four notable books of poetry, including Caída Libre, which won the prestigious Dulce Maria Lonez International Poetry Prize. Her verse has been translated into six languages and has appeared in literary collections around the world. She has also written award-winning fiction and plays and is the author of experimental and hypertextual poetry. Tina has held leadership roles in several organizations and is currently the president of the Association of Spanish Professionals in America. Mark Eisner is an award-winning writer, translator, filmmaker, and president of the nonprofit Red Poppy, dedicated to promoting the power of Latin American poetry to foster social consciousness. Tina is its vice president. Under its auspices, the two edited an anthology of Latin American poetry in resistance, forthcoming from Mad Hat Press. Eisner was awarded high honors in English and creative writing as an undergrad at the University of Michigan. In 2000, he received a fellowship to earn a master's in Latin American studies from Stanford. They subsequently named him a visiting scholar to continue his scholarly and creative work on Pablo Neruda. City Lights published his highly acclaimed The Essential Neruda Selected Poems in 2004. On the centennial that year, Mark read Pablo's poetry to millions while being interviewed on NPR's Morning Edition. He has just finished a groundbreaking biography on Neruda. Work continues on a documentary film. A book of short stories having nothing to do with Neruda is next. Welcome, Tina and Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. So I would like to talk not only about freefall, but also speak in depth about the translation process. First, first, let's get to know about you two. How did you first meet? Well, that's a great question. Um, we met through a mutual friend, uh, Todd Brown, and, and he was part of the Red Puppy project. Mark can explain that a little bit uh, in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. Todd is an artist um, from Burlington, where he knew Tina, and we had met in San Francisco um, around 2002 or three. He was starting up a um, what's now called the Red Poppy Art House, and uh, we became good friends, and I started collaborating with him, and he put the two of us in touch, and um, it's just been an amazing friendship and collaboration, and it's beautiful that it was through Todd and his um, creativity that kind of transcends it all. In a little way, too. In terms of this project, who approached whom? I think it was kind of mutual because uh, I gave my friend um, one uh, volume of the awarded book, Caida Libre, and um, the painter, my friend, he did uh, actually uh, kind of an homage to the to the book, creating a beautiful painting that included pages of the book. And Mark Mark Eisner came to UVM to present uh, his project. 
on the film on Pablo Neruda, and he was kind enough to bring also this painting. So somehow, Caída Libre was uh, part of us from that moment as well. And I gave, of course, one volume to him, and he, uh, Mark, liked it. And I'm very, very happy that he was interested in the translation. Mm. I so, forgot about that. I, uh, yeah, I literally carried <laughs> any other in San Francisco to Burlington. <laughs> Um, so, Tina, I imagine this is not the first time that your work has been translated, right? Right. So um, how do you decide um, if the person is going to be a, a good fit? Like, what do you look for in a translator? Oh, well, this is a very difficult thing. I, I'm, I'm uh, impressed by the... Um uh, the texture of of the person who is translating uh, of the words that this person is um, is, is is working with other translation uh, other translations first. Uh, in case of uh, Mark, besides being a very dear friend, I was also very very I like very much his his way of translating the poems, some of the poems of Pablo Neruda. So that's that's my initial thing. I, I get really interested in the craft, uh, in the ability to to do exactly that, to translate from one language to the next and, and, and transferring the soul of the poem. So that's that's the main um, factor for me to make a decision or, on whether or not I would like to collaborate, because it's, a, it's an act of collaboration, it's an act of, of a change. And also personalities matter as well. I mean, it's a, I think it's important that we can communicate and, and being able to, to respect the, the original work that, as you know, becomes uh, something else in the moment that is already published. So, so it's, it's also uh, it's, it's work. It's hard. So you need to really have a good connection with the person and also to trust the, the skill. And that's my priority. So um, let's hear some of the fruits of those labors, please. Um, would you please read Tina first in Spanish and then mark the translation, um, the record of being starting on page four? Sure. Okay, let me, let me get this. Yes. Historial del ser. Determinar la causa, la ausencia exacta del momento, cuando dejas de ser alguien y eres otra y te dibuja, expande tu interior, lo sodomiza. Primero el desencuentro, los tibios labios corvos que succionan y no saben que más allá del esperma estás tú. Y se duplica, extravagante, avanza, retrocede, me posee esa otra nada, esa burbuja dos. Y no sé si llorar o consumir este último bocado a solas, pretendiendo esquivar la evidencia de mi sangre detenida. Sangre estancada, usurpadora, meretriz de instantes infinitos, interruptor arbitrario del no ser. Esa sangre mensual que me atestigua lunas, caballos siderales, orquestrando mareas y espasmos del amor. Y yo procuro hacerlo, desentenderme toda, y especulo camillas de hospital, techos encalados y remordimientos. Entonces te ignoré, hundí mi pena y no fuiste. Ahora vuelves a entregarte toda y te me impones. Y en la curva de la distancia que separa tu sangre de la mía, acepto. Mark, whenever you're ready. Record of being. 
to to determine the cause, the moment's exact absence. When you stop being someone and you're another and it draws you, expands your interior, sodomizes it. First the discord, the warm curved lips that suction, not knowing you're beyond the sperm. It duplicates extravagant, advances, recedes, the other not nothing possessing me, this doubled bubble. And I don't know whether to cry or consume this last bite alone, hoping to dodge the evidence of my arrested blood, stagnant blood, usurping, harlot of infinite instance, arbitrary interpreter of non-being, that monthly blood that affirms moons, sidereal horses, orchestrating tides and love spasms. And I try to do it, to have no part. I contemplate hospital beds, whitewashed roofs, remorses. I ignored you then. I'd buried my pain. You did not happen. Now you return to give yourself over, to impose yourself on me. And in the curve of the distance that separates your blood from mine, I consent. Thank you. Thank you. So, Mark, what do you think is the primary responsibility of someone translating poetry? I think there's a obligation to the translator, uh, to the original work and the original poet, um, which which brings out the huge challenge of translating, the art of translating, and that's that not only do you have to translate the inherent or original literal meaning of the original lines, but you also have to translate, transform the poetry, the the beauty, the poetic um, um, substance of the original beauty, and that. Uh, makes you have to balance both that literal and artistic license um, and interpretation. And finding that balance and finding the magic in between balancing that or the very frustration of not being able to balance that is, um, is I think, what it's all about or what it should be about. Mm. Um, what I have found when um, translators attempt to take something from the Romance languages and turn it into English, that um, I guess what we would consider prosody, uh, they have more of a musicality. So, Tina, is the musicality of your poems as important as the content? And do you think that some of that is lost in translation? Well, um, it's obviously there is... Um in my case, for example, for me, uh, the internal rhythm and the, the way of the words uh, is extremely important. So it's beyond not only the, uh, um, the, the, the words in the page themselves and, and the content, but also what you say, the musicality, the, the tone of, the, of, the, of each word is extremely important. Um, it's actually the basis of most of my poetry. So this is a huge challenge for the translator, obviously, because mm-hmm. uh, not being from a different... Uh, language roots, it becomes uh, particularly difficult. But I think I think it's accomplished by by um, translators like Mark that are very skillful and able to go beyond the words and achieve that rhythm, that internal rhythm, that musicality. But definitely, it's very very hard. And I, I really think that uh, in some poems, um, it resents a little bit that the lack of that that pause. That particular mm-hmm. pause that is very hard to to be completely and absolutely. 
absolutely translated, not just in terms of the content and the, uh, and the form itself of the words, but just the, that, that tone. So, yes, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would love to hear another piece, but let's switch up the reading. Um, I'd love to hear Free Fall on page 43, one of the title poems. But, Mark, would you read the translation, and Tina, would you then read the original? Sure. Free Fall and Meyer. I sit fallen by the television that frightens the ghosts of things, of larks' nests, and the reflection keeps imposing your soul to form, that vestige of a nameless God, the God I yearn for, which you don't grant me. Adored friend, my daughter, gift me that God. Don't hide from me, for I have nothing left but the threshold of your kiss, but your round ring, but your soul to be made. Gift me your paradise, and I'll guard you from these endless broken sequences, from the city of prodigies and prostitutes, from the world of the dead. I promise to undo the harm and not cry in exchange for your God. Caída libre y cieno. Caída quedo frente al televisor que espanta los fantasmas de las cosas reales, de los nidos de alondras. Y el reflejo sigue imponiendo tu alma por hacer, ese vestigio de un Dios sin nombre, el Dios que anhelo y que no me das. Amor amiga, hija mía, regálame ese Dios. No te me escondas, porque nada más me queda que la puerta de tus besos, que tu anillo redondo, que tu alma por hacer. Regálame tu paraíso y te resguardo de este infinito de lentejuelas rotas, de esta ciudad de los prodigios y de las prostitutas del mundo de los muertos. Te prometo deshacer el entuerto y no llorar a cambio de tu Dios. Thank you. Um, Mark, what difficulties did you encounter during this translation process? Um, oh, actually, I was going to maybe one touch back on this and this goes into right into your question um one of actually the the beauties of working on this i had been working on especially pablo neruda who died in 1973 the year i was born um where he's a poet who you can't be the collaboration that tina was talking about that we had at the beginning um and it's just going back to some of what was said before about um, you know have me being able to take certain um, going with certain sounds and keeping that you know that you have to balance the literal and the poetic um, but you can't go past a certain uh, limit or, or you need to you know keep it within some kind of balance um, and working with Tina there was um, that ability to to go back and forth to sound out ideas to say is you know does this work does this not work what do you think of this um, can I say this uh, and so for me there, I mean there's definitely there's a uh, great um, there's her specific language um, is very uh, presented some very interesting challenges, but at the same time, which I, I can mention, but at the same time, there was just such a thrill um, to be able to, to work with the original poet in such a good way that we collaborated um, so that we could really um, make it just so much more dynamic and feel that I was being honest to what the poet um, obviously uh, 
would 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 want. Mm. And Tina, how did it feel when you got those those first translations back from Mark and you saw it in English on the page? What 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 is that feeling for you? Well, I I I felt thrilled. I I think is um, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, it was it's like a creature that you have and you you have a special love for that uh, particular. A book in this case, uh, because um, this is a this this particular book was very painful for me to write, and it was a long and 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 that pain is in the book as well. So it was a very long process, and I I I really wanted for a long time. I really wanted to have um, an English audience. So when Mark. Uh, and uh, agreed to to work with this. Uh, I was so thrilled and I was so happy. And but at the same time, I was so distant at that point because it has been a few years from the from the poems themselves that uh, for me were like uh, foreign objects. So uh, especially it was because it was something that I I had written before long time ago within a special circumstances, but also. It was in a different language, in English. So, of, co- of course, I was absolutely thrilled, but at the same time, I was mesmerized by that distance. Mm, I, uh, love, I love that term, foreign objects, because I could imagine it being that, because they're obviously your words or your sentiments or your content, but you're reading them back in a language that transforms them and, and definitely shifts the meaning. So it's almost like you'd have to retranslate the English back into the Spanish. Exactly. I, I feel exactly like that. Mm. True. Um, so for the final poem, let's end fittingly with The End of Time on page 143. Tina, would you read the original piece in Spanish and then Mark, please read the translation? Yes, of course. Final del tiempo, del juego, de las cosas que acaban y se deshacen como palomas sin rumbo. Final del mundo, impredecible acierto de estrellas y fragmentos que escapan a tanta desazón. Es el fin, mi tesoro, que sonríes y elevas por encima de las copas y de los rascacielos. Este umbral sin mesura ni alimento, sin caricia ni hamaca. La bola del gigante neoyorquino se aventura en su paso simple, destella muchedumbres, regocijos. Es el fin y el comienzo, y expectantes asistimos al destino urbano y ocre, de nuestro descalabro. The end of time, of the game, of things that extinguish and tear apart like aimless doves. The end of the world. Random triumph of stars and fragments escaping such great sorrow. It's the end, my darling girl, my treasure, who smiles and rises above the tree traps and the skyscrapers. This threshold void of restraint and nourishment, caress and hammock. Gigantic New York's New Year Eve's ball drops at its simple pace, sparkling, rejoicing crowds. It's the end and the beginning, and we anxiously await the urban, okra, fate of our havoc. Thank you very much. There are some killer lines in this poem. Um, and I would like to sit with the last line because it resonates. And we anxiously await the urban ochre fate of our havoc. Um, it seems like a pretty direct translation from what I can understand. But is there meaning being translated, created, or lost with this line? 
Are you asking me? <laughs> I, I guess I'm asking both of you. I mean, um, yeah, because I think that it should be perhaps Mark, how he feels about this line. How do you feel about this line, Mark? Uh, actually, to be honest, I'd actually revisit it a little. I haven't looked at it for a while, but... Um, I like it. I think it's beautiful. I like the... Um, I think, it's, as you said, it's, it's, it's very literal in terms of uh, the content, but the use of the words are beautiful, in my opinion. I like that way that way that I was mentioning before, the, the, the pace, the tone, the rhythm of those beautiful words, ochre, fate, havoc. So I think that is, is well established. The, 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 the essence of that language is like a punchline at the end, the, the mm-hmm. fact that it's the end and the beginning. So I think, I think it's very well accomplished, this, this particular um, line. Yeah, the, I mean, this one, uh, there, there were many lines throughout the collection that surprised me, but this one surprised me the most, like almost so much where I like sat back in my chair. I was like, wait a second. Like you're trying to, to wrap your mind around it, to conceptualize it, to imagine it, um, because the ochre fate of our havoc in context with the end of time and the beginning of time, I, I just think it's beautiful. Thank you. I, I agree. Thank you also to Mark for this translation. And, and it has, it's kind of one of the essential parts of the book. I mean, the idea of apocalypse um, in the sense that, uh, that death and re- rebirth is a change of values that I am proposing in this book. So that in the, at the end of the millennium. So that particular sentence or line, it really um, concentrates some of those meanings. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead, Mark. It's, and it's just you know one page before the kind of coda, which is about you know if when you're going through this poem, which um, it, it's going through real real world, real life events with both Tina and her pregnancy and what's going on in New York, and then boom, 9/11, which is the section that follows kind of as an appendix or a coda that line, mm-hmm. which makes it kind of even more abrupt when you go into the next section. Yeah, um, I read the next section and I had wanted to maybe feature one of um, the pieces from there, but it would have been difficult to isolate one. Do you want to um, speak briefly about this this appendix? Um, yes. Um, I was, this happened a little bit after I finished the book, so that's why it's a coda, but it makes perfect sense within the, this idea that I'm pro- of a change of values, um, and it's also a, a, a feminist uh, book in many senses as well. You know, mm-hmm. tran- transformation of traditional uh, values, uh, but then it, it is, they are the values of the Western, Western values being reconsidered by what happened with with uh, the with 9/11. Uh, so, so I kind of. Um, delve into those ideas in these three parts of 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 the the fall of the of the skyscrapers and I, I had to do with some anecdote personal anecdote related to my my second child and um, 
And I thought that it was a good way to end the book because it stressed that component that I said of faith, of, excuse me, of, of pain that is uh, in the book, but at the same time, at the end, there is again a rebirth, a new possibility. So I thought it was coherent, but at the same time, it needed its own segment. And I think Mark did a good job because it's, it's very much on the idea of falling, falling, falling. It's very experimental. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he did a good job trans, trans, uh, transferring that sense of experimentation in, on the page with the words. So, so yes, that's, that's pretty much in general my idea of this part. I don't know what, what Mark thinks about this. What do you uh, think, Mark? No, I agree. I mean, I was doing this, actually translating this. I, I was living in southern Chile in a cabin and a snow-capped volcano outside the window that was smoking. And it was just the context to go through this poem and then be there, you know, seeing her witness in the sense of the poet's eyes after everything in the, this epic poem, which it was already before you got to this. And then the true timing, you know, it was a little after you know, real life events. But, you know, basically this is almost this true real life epic with real time and real historic events and it was just i it was just put me in this different world um but it was so i was right there not even because i was translating even more so because i was translating but it just kind of being that far away in such a different world than being in new york you know you could be anywhere and it was just so transcendent in a way that it brought me right there which was so much of the the poem, and also in a little bit, just to circle back around, um, just thinking of that, that the whole when you asked me some of the challenges of translating this book, for me, not only um, this was the first book-length poem that I have done, um, which is definitely different than just doing two or three pages mm-hmm. of a you know, poem that's two or three poems, pages, and then you go on. And that was a challenge, and then it also, you know, it took me a little bit out of my boundaries, where, you know, I've never... Um, been pregnant or even had a um, uh, there's just so much in this that 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 shifted me and was whether it's the there's a lot of raw corporal words and imagery um, and also just the thoughts and the insights that are foreign to me because I could never be in that position mm-hmm. um, although I've had you know some friends but never you know a true partner and it was just to, to link through the translating process through words in a different language through these different things I could never experience that were taking me out of the boundary but yet in a way I had to put myself in Tina's shoes or pen or mind at as being, you know, the translator of her poetry. It was just a, it was, it was an awesome experience, and I couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> so I also want to, as I say that, I want to um, give a shout-out to Katia Shefton, who kind of helped me on some of this, too. Good. So. Um, yeah, well, one of the things that, that, of course, made me enthusiastic about this book was that a man had translated the poetry of a woman, and that is very rare from what I've come to understand, doing any type of tallying of gender. Um, And it was heartwarming, for sure. Um, So I have two questions for each of you. Um, Tina, what advice can you offer to a poet who is about to have their work translated? And Mark, what advice can you offer to a translator who is about to translate their first collection? (laughs) This is a hard one. I know. (laughs) Um, I, I, well, um, 
there are two things here. One is the fact that actually we want readership in a way, especially uh, with people like us that are hybrid in so many ways. Um, and, uh, and we continue being part of this and, and not being part of this country and this language, especially as a poet that really lives and, and thrives in, in their own uh, native language. So on the one hand, it is true that we want that readership. We want that opportunity to reach out and to have... Uh, more readers in a country like this that even though we have the second language in particular with the Spanish, the second language is Spanish in this country, but then you don't have that many opportunities in, um, of publishing in Spanish. So one thing is the truth is that we, we want that. And sometimes we are a little bit careless, perhaps, or some, some, some probably some poets wouldn't be that selective because they cannot afford being selective in terms of who they want to, to choose as their translators. But once you have that opportunity, obviously, you need to, to be careful in the, in the sense that you want to see what is the craft, what is the skill, because this is a very, very difficult trait to be translator. And uh, so pay attention to other translations and, and look for passion and for connection, which was I was so lucky to have with, with Mark Eisner. He not only is a, is a seasoned uh, translator, but also he has the passion and we had the connection and then went beyond because this is a very gender-based book in many, many ways and at the same time, obviously, it's extremely universal. So, yes, that would be my recommendation is, um, uh, is, is to be open and to, to, and to be patient in, in many ways, but also to be generous and to, if possible, to have a, a, a good connection to be able to collaborate and, 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 and you know, and, and make um, a nice product of, of your work. That's great advice. What about you, Mark? Well, I can almost uh, use that same, same answer for the translator, or same uh, advice for the translator. Um, definitely on the collaboration. The Neruda project, the Central Neruda, um, the one of the main uh, raison d'etre, or regret using that word, but the idea behind how that book was put about, which was a combination of about seven different translators working with three or four, at least um, in the end, um, kind of scholars or, or Neridianos all over the world, um, and an editor or two in between, was that we couldn't collaborate with Neruda um, and ask him. But instead of that, we could have this collaboration as much as we could um, among each other. Um, so as, as I couldn't call Tina, we could go through this process, and I think that's one of the reasons um, it uh, it uh, turned out so so well. There's a quote. Um, well, we can skip that. But um, the other thing is going back to kind of what I said at the beginning when you were talking about um, the challenges at the beginning. I, it's really in terms of advice. It's it's. I can't, you know, obviously tell you how, but that to think of um, translation, if you're doing literary translation, you must think of it as an art. You must embrace it as an art and as a creative challenge. And it's that balancing, again, between, you know, are you just keeping the literary meaning translated or how much of that original Poetry? Are you infusing, transcending, transforming into your to you, to your translation, but yet keeping it in check? Um, there's many examples of 
of how one can just totally land it with a genius um, performance on on the page and in terms of something like Robert Haas um, did Neruda's poem 15 and it's a Alexandrine, which is a um, kind of a historic form, which Tina could go off on for five hours on the form of that. Um, but it's got a certain meter and a certain rhythm, and nobody else. This is uh, I like it when you're quiet. One of his more famous ones, and Robert Haas, former U.S. poet laureate, um, he and just a saintly genius, um, a saint. He took the challenge of keeping it the rhyme intact. Or, or not the same rhyme, but keeping it rhymed and in the same meter. And so you lost a little of, you know, if somebody's going to try to learn Spanish by looking, by reading translations and poetry, that if somebody's doing that, that should mean that the, and being successful in a way that means that the translation really isn't that successful. Mm-hmm. Because you can't do the one plus one equals two or, or whatever. And, and, Bob was able to translate a poem and keep the original rhyme pattern and so close to the meaning, an inherent meaning, that it was just beautifully su- successful. And you had that poetry translated while still being within the limits of not going too overboard and putting in your whole wor- other words, which some people do, and, and you know making it an adaptation. And somewhere in there is... Uh, uh, something what Alistair Reed, who unfortunately uh, passed away a couple of years ago, he was uh, Neruda's favorite translator, really. And he had said that, you know, translation is a process of moving closer and closer to the original, yet of never arriving. Mm. And that's for the reader to cross the page. Huh. Oh, I, love, I love that. Yes. Um, well, can you tell us something about the forthcoming anthology with Mad Hat? Sure. Um, uh, Sorry to switch gears on you like that, but I'm excited about this anthology. Um, I think we both would be happy to talk about it. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, if you want, maybe talk about how it came about, and maybe I can say. Oh, okay. Um, well, this is this is something uh, we really wanted to do. We wanted to to continue our collaboration also with Red Puppy, and uh, we thought that it was important uh, to to tap into into the need of of um, a different sort of anthology. And I was also thinking in my own classes of literature in, at the University of Vermont that some uh, with the lack there is a, a huge issue with with the current anthologies like for example don't cover uh, they are primarily um, with um, they are only primarily men uh, being included in those anthologies and also the classics nothing really contemporary in terms of Latin America many countries were always dismissed different languages also being dismissed when as you know many many languages are being spoken also in Latin America so new voices voices in Maya in, in Maya Quiche, in, in, in Miskito, uh, in Quichua. And uh, so I think that we wanted to do that. I mean, uh, we, Mark and I, have a very similar sense of, of you know, of, of interest and 
um, political interest in terms also of social justice, and we wanted to create this anthology, which is Poetry in Resistance, Poesia and Resistencia. Mm -hmm. So, and the beauty of this is that it covers all countries in Latin America, all different languages, and also resistance in, in terms of um, ecology, in terms of gender issues, in terms of uh, radical issues, not, not just political issues in the traditional sense. So we wanted to also recover those voices that are, are contemporary and very, very strong and, and very persuasive, also many women that are not collected in contemporary um, or even traditional um, anthologies. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mark? What, what can you say about compiling this anthology? Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, I'm very proud of um, this, and, and I'm very grateful to Matt Hat to take this on. Um, and, yeah, I, re I mean, I remember it's, we've been working on this for a while now, and, and just in the beginning, you know, Tina's frustration of, of not having a text to teach these poems, this poetry, um, this whatever, I mean, I'm not going to use the word canon, but, it, it, you know, something like that um, in her class um, and having to go from, uh, you know, a copy here and a copy there and that there was no book. And so we were kind of like, well, why don't we make the book? And as Tina said, one of the great things is that, you know, you, you, one of the things that we want with this book is that, you know, sure, you can get um, books about, you know, a co you know, environmental issues in Latin America or anywhere or feminists. But this puts, as she said, feminist, queer, indigenous, urban even, ecological themes, you know, alongside the, the more historical prominent protests against imperialism, dictatorships, and, of course, economic equality. And we cover every Latin American country, which we thought was very important. Um, so we've got 42 poems from 28 different countries. And without really, we just did this actually this morning, um, this count, because we didn't plan this. But it turned out that without, you know, um, any... Uh, arbitration or whatever, it turned out that there's 23 men and 19 women represented. Um, Not too shabby. No. <laughs> um, so it was, it was really cool to see that, you know, it came right pretty much right down the middle. And, and Yeah, and you and I had actually spoken about the difficulty that one might encounter when seeking out Latin American female poets to be included in such an anthology. Right, and this is my this is my part. It's part of my um, critical work and, and scholarship. The fact that we have amazing, very powerful, very important um, Latin American female writers. However, they are not they are not included in the canon, the, the so-called canon. So uh, this is this is important because they deserve it. I mean, they are very important voices, and it's sad that it turns to be a difficulty when actually they are there and they are extraordinary. So that's the beauty of it and, and looking also into these voices that are so important in the 21st century that were practically not recorded in the previous one, in the previous century and we, we've, we felt the responsibility of paying attention to these voices and these presences and these themes. So. Mm -hmm. um, when this anthology comes out I invite you to return to New Books and Poetry and would love to um, feature some of the poets who are in there and we can talk more about the process because I think this is a necessary anthology, and I applaud your work on it. 
Thank, Thank you. And just one quick thing on that. Just I also want to say that we've got some amazing translators behind this. It's a multilingual anthology, as we like to call it, not just a bilingual. And everyone from our current amazing um, poet laureate, Juan Felipe Herrera, to translators who are amazing but have never been published before. Um, so just wanted to put in that, too. Thank you. So for our final questions, I'd like to know from each of you who you are reading right now and what you are listening to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Jen, this is so hard for me. As a, I, I, as a professor, um, every day I'm, I'm reading um, canonical stuff. And, uh, so right now we are working on Tres Tristes Tigres from Guillermo Cabrera Infante. So I don't really, really don't, at this point I don't have the luxury of, of, of reading anything else and I get really uh, involved in during my classes. So the, unfortunately I cannot really say more than that, that uh, I'm reading the, um, the traditional writers in this case in, from Cuba. Mm-hmm. And what am I listening to? Um, I, that's a tricky one. I, I prefer Mark to answer. Is it to answer for you? Or? Yes. <laughs> Help me here. What about you, Mark? Um, well, I actually had the modern luxury of just being able to switch to my iTunes here and see my recently played um, to give you an idea. And I've got um, a bunch of Grateful Dead and... Uh, Fugazi, followed by that, Violeta um, Parra, and Beck, and Miles Davis then. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, and I am, what's been great is that I finally finished uh, this 10-year voyage on um, this biography on Neruda, which I just recently finished and finished some other things and taking some breaks from some other things. And I'm finally able to actually sit down and read a, a novel um, through, which has been great. And I just finished uh, Carolina de Robertis, um, mainly uh, her The Gods of Tango, um, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, reading... Um, uh, something I've been wanting to read for a long time, Michael Chabon's uh, Telegraph Avenue. And then next on the list is, uh, I believe it's Hot House, the book on uh, Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. Mm. Um, and it's been nice to read a novel where I've just been kind of limited between my, how much because of the biography has been so much research too that mm-hmm. I just have the mind space just to read some poems or a short story. And it's nice to just sit down and read a novel. Yeah, reading for pleasure is a game changer. It really is. It is. I'll wait until the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you, Tina and Mark, for coming on today and sharing a bit of your process and your work. Thank you so much. Jen, and thank you for having this program. This is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. 